we're going to look and study through this chapter, the majority of this chapter here, Acts chapter 5. It's probably a familiar passage of Scripture for most here in this room this evening. It's a story that begins with a man and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. They, uh, they purchased, the Bible tells us, they purchased uh, or, or they had a plot of land and they sold that pot of, plot of land and they, Ananias comes to the church. He's asked by, by the church. Peter said in verse three, uh, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And they keep back part of the price of the land. And so w- what happened was they sold this land and when they came to the church, they gave the church a portion of, of the land and he held back some of it. And then when he was asked how much he sold the land for, he said whatever, whatever he told him and it wasn't accurate. And because of that, Peter challenged him and said, why, why would you lie? You've lied to the Lord. And, and um, he said uh, in verse four, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou not lied unto men, but unto God? And look what happened. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Immediately after Ananias was challenged with this, he died right in church. And then, and then what they did is they came in and um, uh, the young men arose and verse 6, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after. Now, I like this part of the scripture because anyone that thinks I preach long, you've not been to a preaching meaning in the New Testament, three hours go by. And so here, here Peter's preaching or one of the apostles are preaching. Three hours later, Sapphira comes in, Ananias' wife comes in. And she didn't know what was done. She had no idea this happened. She had no idea that her husband died in church. She had no idea they came in and got him. They had, she had no idea they've already buried her husband. And they're just preaching. They still had church. They didn't even stop. She comes in to the church and Peter asked her right away. Bible says in verse eight, he answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And he said, so whatever price that was, he says to her, um, uh, did you sell the land for X amount of money? The number that Ananias told her. And she responds with yay for so much. And then Peter says unto her in verse nine, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, look at it. Could you imagine? You talk about getting your toes stepped on in church. Here, here Peter says this. I mean, it's direct. He says, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And she died immediately. <laughs> and they came in and carried her out. Could you imagine being in a church like that? Where... You know, the Spirit of God was moving here. And he wasn't letting them get away with lying to him. This passage of Scripture, chapter number five, it's not about money. Really, it has nothing to do with money. This isn't a passage of Scripture. We're not going to talk about money this evening. It's not about money. It's not about tithing. It's not about giving. It's being honest with your life before the Lord. 
this is what the New Testament church looked like. You came in with sin, and God dealt with you. I mean, this was serious stuff, wasn't it? Could you imagine that? I don't know what you've been involved in today, but could you imagine if it wasn't right? You came in the church tonight, and, 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 the, and the guy or the girl next to you, she or he just died because she lied? I mean, we'd be scooting trying to get out of the building real quick without anybody noticing, right? Just moving out. Could you imagine church? Church was a place here where God was wanting to do something in the life of his people. You see how different, if we're not careful, how different church today is in society? We just come in and we don't want anybody to tell us what we don't want to hear. We want to just live our life however we want to live it, even if it's not pleasing the Lord. And we don't want to be convicted when we come to church. I mean, I get beat up in the world. I don't want to get beat up when I come to church. Here, here in Acts chapter 5, this truly happened. Now, I want, you to, I want you to remember, in the first generation church, they learned unselfish living. I want to give you ingredients for renewal. So ingredients for renewal. How many of you, you ever felt like you've been in a rut in your Christian life? Anybody like that? Anybody honest? Don't, don't lie because you see what happened with... <laughs> how many of you would agree you've been in a rut? Yeah, everyone, I'm going to stand on that one, yeah. Yeah, the reality is this. If you've been saved for any length of time, you've been in a spiritual rut. You've been in a place where, where things just aren't fresh. I mean, it's just things kind of get boring. Remember when you first got saved, boy, it was exciting. You read your Bible. You even had like a reading schedule where you'd mark it off, you know. Uh, I read Genesis and read Matthew. And, 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 you, and you probably can go back to that. And maybe, maybe you finished. Maybe you quite didn't. Remember you said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And for a good amount of time, boy, you found that time to pray. Or maybe you said, I'm going I'm to be a soul winner. I'm going to witness. I'm going to give the gospel out. And, and I'm going I'm to take a day. I know, I know a, a friend of mine, he has a goal of every single day. He's on purpose, shares the gospel with somebody. Every day, on purpose, shares the gospel. Not, not a day goes by. That's his goal. That's a great goal. We, we set goals. Imagine Ananias and Sapphira. This is a, a, a husband and wife that they get saved in the first generation church. And it is exciting. This church is exploding. I mean, it's church growth. I mean, there's, there's people being saved and people being added to the church. And, and so many things are exciting in this church. And, and, and remember, remember the first generation church, they were taught to live an unselfish life. Now get that. Because I believe this, the first ingredient for renewal in our soul is to have an unselfish life. Because we can't be pleasing the Lord. We can't have that desire, that passion, like maybe we had when we first got saved, if we're living life for ourselves, You know what, what happened here? Again, it's not necessarily about money here in Acts chapter 5. What we find is this. We had a couple, a husband and wife, who began to live life in a selfish manner. There was something they could hold on to. There was something they could keep, and they thought nobody would know. And I'm going to give a portion of it to the church, like I said I was going to do, but I'm going to keep a portion as well. 
And the, the persecution that was, was being put upon these Christians, it caused many a people to give up everything that they had. There's a difference there in first-generation Christianity, and I believe Christianity today, first-generation Christianity, persecution, it caused people to have to do without. I mean, they lost family, they lost their jobs, they lost friends, they lost everything they knew. They had to start over in many cases because they put their faith and trust in Christ, and because of that, great persecution has come. And they, the answer, the answer to helping these Christians was this, unselfish living. There was a community of believers that said this, I'm going to give my life so that other people can live for Christ. I'm going to sell this plot of land. Why was it necessary to sell the plot of land? It was necessary because there were believers that needed to eat. It was necessary because there was believers that needed to live. What was happening was this. People were being saved, and they were saying, you know, I got saved, and, and my family threw me out, or my business is gone. They won't let me practice anymore. I'm going through persecution. And they knock on the door, and they knock on the door and say, hey, I heard you're a believer. I just got saved as well. I need a place to live. Well, come on in. Do you have a place for me? I got a three-bedroom house. All the bedrooms are filled, but you come on in, sleep on the floor. Is this your family? No, these, these folks knocked on the door as well. They got saved, they needed a place to stay. Come on into the house. They were, they were unselfish in their living. My house wasn't my house. My house was for anybody that got saved that needed a place to live. Come on in, not only to my house, come sit at the table. How many did you make dinner for tonight? I don't know, whoever shows up. I mean, you're gonna give what you have so that other people can eat? How are they gonna eat? They can't go home, they're, they're under persecution. They, they lost their job because it was a family business and their family threw them out because they got saved. And the first generation Christian had to live an unselfish life. Persecution came. Many had to say work in my house or work in my business. How was all of this financed? financed because of unselfish living. Christians were committed to give so that others could have. See, God forced, he forced the new believer to live a life of sacrifice. I believe this, in order for us to have a renewal in our spirit, number one, we've got to live a life of unselfish living. And secondly, we need to live a life of sacrifice. I believe this, if we were to evaluate what a first-generation Christian was and then what a Christian today is, what we would probably find is the level of sacrifice is not there. But listen to me, he set this model for us in Christ. The greatest model of sacrifice we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. He left heaven's home. He took upon sin. He became sin so you and I, so you and I could be free from the bondage of sin. So you and I could be redeemed back to God. Jesus Christ made the ultimate sacrifice so you and I could be saved. And so God's not asking any Christian to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. Now think about that. Have you ever expected someone to do something that you weren't willing to do? How many of you? Yeah, sure, I, we put that on people all the time. You ought to be doing this, but I'm not doing it, right? We put it on our kids. They ought to be doing a certain thing. We don't, we're not willing to do it. 
God didn't put something on the believer that he himself wasn't willing to do, and that was sacrifice. Listen, we as Christians, if we're not careful, we can live in a society today where it is just easy, and we think Christianity is about a comfort and ease. There's nowhere in the Bible where the Bible said, get saved and all your problems are going to go away. I think what we've lost, if we're not careful, what we've lost in our generation of Christianity in generations previously is that, is that unselfish living in that willingness of sacrifice. We're not saved so that we get. We're saved so that we give to others. And so we find here in chapter 5, we find a group of people that are willing to live unselfishly and they're willing to sacrifice. Now understand something this evening, please. The Bible is written mostly to the persecuted, the poor, the struggling. Christianity was never about access to earthly riches. I know you, 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 you gotta be careful what you read and what you write because a lot of times, you might read something or, or watch something on TV and it's like, get saved and all of your problems are going to go away. This, this business of prosperity gospel isn't true. It's not biblical. Nowhere you find where once you got saved, everything, went, all your problems went away. All your financial problems go away if you trust Jesus Christ. It's not true. Your sickness will go away if you trust Jesus Christ. Not true. You'll have never have a need in life if you get saved. If you just trust Jesus, everything is going to take care of itself. Listen to me, you've got eternal life. You've got the greatest riches you could possibly have in eternity. But it doesn't necessarily mean here on this earth that everything's going to just go okay. It doesn't mean that, 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 that your bank account's going to, all of a sudden, somebody's going to deposit a million dollars in your bank account because you got saved. It's not what it means. In the first generation Christian, they understood that. They understood that being saved meant persecution was going to come. They knew that being saved meant this, I'm going to do without. They understood that being saved means this, that I'm needing now to live a very unselfish life because others are in need of what God has blessed me with so they could survive. Church wasn't about how it made me feel when I came in. Church wasn't about the things that we get upset about when you really look and study the Bible, how petty and how selfish they are. How ridiculous it is. The things that offend people or the things that we, we get upset about. And what it all comes back to most of the time is this. It didn't suit you well. Well, that wasn't what the first generation Christian was all about. It was serious business here to be a Christian. We had, a, we had a, a job to do and the world needed to be saved and the world needed to hear about Jesus and I was willing to live whatever way I needed to live so that others could get the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how the first generation Christians, they lived. It was never about access to earthly riches. It was never about eliminating of your earthly problems. It was, it was, it was, it was, about, it was about Jesus Christ and the gospel message. That's what first-generation Christianity was. But it's crept into Christianity now that everything ought to be just right 
And if not, then we have an excuse to be upset with God. Christianity was a life of selflessness and a life of sacrifice. Now, before I go on, I just want you to evaluate right now, evaluate as we study this chapter 5 and we think about the ingredients of renewal, the ingredients of being refreshed. Do you ever just, I mean, you're tired, you're weary. Man, you get a, a nice warm shower. You get refreshed. Every once in a while, Christians, we get to the place where we need renewal. That renewal comes when a first of all I see in chapter number five is when a Christian says, I am not going to live life about me. I'm going to live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it comes when a Christian is willing to sacrifice what they have for the cause of Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to see something here as well. Thirdly, I want you to see in verse number four, the Bible says, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but look at this, but unto God. I believe this, in order for us an ingredient, in order for us to be refreshed and renewed, we've got to have a realization of God's power. The outward show that is seen in Christianity, it should come from an inward focus on God. What is seen on the outward, in the actions of the outward, it ought to come from our relationship with God. It's not about an outward show and inside we're a mess. That's exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira here. What, what they did is they thought they could get away with something. They thought, I could sell this piece of land, I can go to the church, I'll tell them I sold it for X amount of money, and I'll take the rest of the money, I'll put it in my pocket, and nobody's ever going to find out. But what Peter reminded them this is, you didn't lie to Peter, you didn't lie to the church, you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. You know what I think about when I read this passage of scripture, I wonder this, how could they think that they could get away with it? Well, they'll never know. Just, Sapphira, it's, it's, it's you and me, and, and we'll take this money, and we'll, 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 we'll go on a cruise in the Mediterranean or something. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with the money, but, but we'll do something together, and nobody's going to know. But what they forgot is God knew. You can't sin and, and, and think you're going to get away with it. You can't hide it and think that nobody else sees it. You can't, you can't think if I just keep this a secret from, from church or keep it a secret from, from the preacher or keep it a secret from my, my spouse or keep it a secret from my, from my friends. If I just keep this a secret, then no one's going to know. Listen, the Bible still says be sure your sin will find you out. You can't live a life and expect God not to see it. He hears that, that conniving between Ananias and Sapphira. He hears that lie that they come together with. He hears those things. And we need to realize this. In order for us to be renewed, in order for us to have this refreshment in our life spiritually, we need to realize that God is a powerful God and God hears all and God sees all and they can't get away with what God sees. He'll judge us. Too often Christianity has now become 
what I do or what I see instead of Christianity being this, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, they were Christians. Ananias and Sapphira, they went to church. They were giving. They were probably a couple in the church that would have been highly esteemed. They're probably, they're probably a couple in the church that when they needed something, they probably said, that family's a good family. I mean, they're faithful. They're serving. They're there, and, and they're selling a piece of ground. And I'm sure if a deacon was needed, probably somebody, somebody in the church, because they couldn't see Ananias' heart, they'd probably say, that's probably a good guy there. He's faithful. Probably his wife, she ought to be serving, ought to be teaching, ought to be singing. She ought to be doing something because look at them. They're faithful. They're there in church. And, and, and from every outward action we see, they are faithful to the house of God. They're faithful to God. But what, what, what man can't see is what's on the inside. But what we got to realize, God can see what's on the inside. And you might fool man long enough, but you'll never fool God. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira learned. And we need to realize this, that there is, there is a powerful God. You know, here we find this. It might have been through laziness. I, I don't know what caused them to get to this place. I'm not sure what caused Ananias and Sapphira to get to this place spiritually. But they got to a place spiritually where they, they had improper thoughts. You know what their thoughts were? I can lie and get away with it. And listen... Peter says to Ananias, why would you let Satan do that to you? And just like I said when I started this evening, Satan's goal is to destroy this church. Satan's goal is to destroy your family. His goal is to get into your mind and cause you to believe things that aren't true. He got Ananias and Sapphira to believe this. If you lie, nobody will find out. And they did find out. The reason they found out is because God knew about it and you can't hide it from God. And I'm saying this evening, church, we need to have unselfish living. We need to live a life of sacrifice and we need to live a life that we realize God's power and not get lazy and not allow our thoughts to be swayed by Satan in proper, improper thoughts. I see here there's an unselfish living. There's a sacrifice that Christians were willing to live. There was a realization of God's power. And I want you to see in verse number 11. So we come, to, we come through the first 10 verses. She falls in verse number 10. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. The young men came in and found her dead and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. Funeral service right in the middle of church. But I want you to see what happened in verse number 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Something happened that day that caused the people there to see the seriousness of what was happening. You know what I find here? What we need an ingredient for renewal is a healthy reverence for God healthy reverence for God. You say, how do I get to that place? I believe when we get to the place where we begin living selfishly, it, it hurts our reverence for God. When we live in a place where we're not willing to live sacrificially, it hurts our, our reverence for God when we don't realize his power. 
I believe just like we find here in chapter number five, there's a pattern here that I see when the Christians were willing to live an unhel- uh, 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 unselfish life, when a Christian was willing to live a sacrificial life, when a Christian realized the power of God, then and only then were they able to have a healthy reverence for God. They feared him. You know, I believe this, we in Christianity, we've lost our fear of God. Because we can just go through the motions. And we can play church. And we can play Christian. And we can raise our kids. And, you know, we got our kids in church. We've got our kids in a Christian school. Or we're homeschooling our kids. You know, we, we're, we, we've got them in a bubble. And, and, and everything's going to be okay. But there's no reverence there for God. Listen, Christianity is not a club. It's not a club. It's a lifestyle. Christianity is a relationship with Christ. Here, here what we find in verse number 11, what God did, could you imagine coming into church this evening and God saying, you know what, Tom? You've lied. And Oscar and the other young men, <laughs> pick him up and take him out. Boy, you'd see God differently. This is a healthy fear. This is a healthy fear that I believe that we've lost here in Christianity. Great fear, the Bible says, came upon the church. A healthy reverence put our thinking back into proper focus. The reality is the, rea- the, 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 the average Christian, our thinking is off. Our thinking is about us. Church is about us. Life is about us. It's about my dreams and my goals and my desires. And if God doesn't give me what I want, I'm mad at him. If God doesn't give me the desires of my heart, then something's wrong. When, when first generation Christianity said, I'm giving my life to Christ, use it for what you desire. I'm giving up my family name. I'm giving up my family business. I'm giving up my occupation. I'm giving up my home. I'm giving up my lifestyle. I'm giving up everything, Lord, so that I could be a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's worth living. And now, if we're not careful, this type of Christianity, American Christianity, Western Christianity, is this. I'll be a Christian until it gets difficult. I'll be a Christian until it gets hard. And even the place where we pray and God doesn't answer the prayers the way we want him to answer and we get upset with him. And that wasn't first-generation Christianity. First-generation Christianity was, Lord, whatever you desire, I'm willing to do. Whatever the cost, I'm willing to pay it. Whatever the sacrifice, I'm willing to give it because I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There was a holy reverence, and a holy reverence for God puts thinking back in its proper focus. Now, I want you to look with me in Galatians, if you would, please. Something caused Ananias and Sapphira to think they were going to get away with it. What caused them to think that? Galatians chapter number 5, I want you to see with me in verse number 17, the Bible says, "For for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. 
and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. And it goes through this entire list of negative things. A entire list of, of, of hateful things, criminal things. An entire list of selfish things. Envings and murders and drunkenness and revelings. And he says, in such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says in verse number 22, and look there, look there, when, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm living a life filled with the Holy Spirit of God, when my thoughts are right, when I'm where I'm supposed to be spiritual, when I'm renewed in my spirit, what do I find but the fruit of the spirit? It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. What we find in Ephesians what, or in Galatians chapter 5, what we find here is if we don't have our minds stayed upon Christ, we're going to begin to live a selfish life. A selfish life leads to sinful actions and selfish actions, and that's not how the Christian ought to live. But Galatians chapter 5, it wasn't written to the lost. Galatians chapter 5 is written to the Christian. It's written to the church. It's written to followers of Christ. And, and he's saying, don't, don't allow your flesh to, to control you. What did Ananias and Sapphira do? You know what they did? They allowed their flesh to control them. They allowed their flesh to dictate how they ought to think. It wasn't about finances here. It's not about money here. What it is about is about their thought life. They got stale and stagnant in their relationship with the Lord. And that stale and stagnant thought life led to sinful actions. Always, always, always when your flesh wins against the spirit, it's always going to lead to sinful actions. And that's exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They thought they could get away with something. They thought they could live a life of selfishness. But that always leads to consequences. Always. But we don't have to live there. We don't have to live a burdened life. We don't have to live a selfish life. We can live in the power of the Spirit of God when we have a healthy reverence for God. I want you to see something. I need to be done. I want you to see next, I find here the ingredients of a renewed life. Number one is unselfish living. Number two is sacrificial living. Number three, a realization of God's power. Number four, a healthy reverence toward God. And number five, I want you to write this down, a testimony of helping others. You say, where do you see that? In chapter number five of Acts, Verse number 11, fear came upon all the church. Something happened there. People were getting right with God. And it got to the place when Peter walked, people in Jerusalem just wanted to put people that were sick in Peter's shadow because if his shadow would pass, they had faith, they'd be healed. Imagine that power. I didn't have to get to Peter. 
If I can just get three, four, five feet away from Peter, however tall Peter was, whatever his shadow looked like, if I could just be there in his shadow. Listen, that's, that's the testimony the local church had in Acts. The reason why the local church had that testimony is because there were people that were willing to live sacrificially. There were people that were willing to live an unselfish life. There was a holy reverence toward God. There was a realization of God's power. You know what that produces? Look, look with me in verse, verse number 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at the, last, at the least the shadow of Peter passing might overshadow some of them. And then look in verse number 16, and this is convicting to me. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about under Jerusalem. So meaning this, the cities that touched Jerusalem, people came, bringing sick folks, them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. They had a testimony. Who comes to the house of God seeking help because of your testimony? Who was here Sunday because of your testimony? Listen, they didn't have the internet. They weren't Googling, you know, Christians in Jerusalem, what can I find out? They didn't have the newspaper that was being published, you know, overnight. They didn't have cable news where they were watching. Look at the events that are happening in Jerusalem. If you're sick, if you've got an unclean spirit, you've got to get your way to Jerusalem. No. How did all the cities all around them know? Because the testimony of the believers, people were going and getting healed. They heard what was happening in the church. What did they hear? They heard there was unselfish living. They heard there was sacrificial living. They heard there was a, a reverence toward God. They heard there was a realization of God's power. And they said, I've got to have that. Who is coming to the house of God because of your testimony? Who says, I've got to have what they have? Oh, listen to me. Listen, go into this world and you don't have to go very far. Matter of fact, you can go to Monclova and all the cities that touch Monclova. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find people that are hurting. You're going to find people that are in sin. You're going to find people whose homes are broken. You're going to find prostitutes. You're going to find drug addicts. You're going to find drunks. You're going to find people that their lives are in shambles and falling apart. And they ought to know that there's a place I can go to get help. People shouldn't have to live in their sin and thinking there is no hope. People shouldn't have to live in their sin thinking there's no help. People shouldn't have to live in a lonely state in this world thinking there's no friend. They ought to hear from a testimony of someone that knows Jesus Christ because of how they live and who they, who they speak about in the, in, the, in the testimony of their life. They ought to know if I can just get to the place of God, then I can find help. But what is your testimony telling people? garbage you find on Facebook. You know what that testimony isn't going to tell anybody? I read something about our Monclova Road Baptist Church on Facebook. I don't want to go find help there. 
I think to myself, why would somebody do some stupid thing like that? I didn't get my way. I'm going to complain. Go to the house. Go to the workplace. And there's people there that need Jesus. There's people there that, that need the Lord. There's people there whose marriages are falling apart. There's people there that are addicted to sin. There's people there that need to be saved. Instead of the church going and having a passion and a testimony so people can find help, we push them farther away from God. It doesn't make sense. Twenty years ago or so now, I was in a car accident and I was rear-ended. I was sitting at a stoplight and I was rear-ended. And, and um, from that point on, I went through about eight months of therapy and had some disc issues. And really, for the last twenty years of my life, I've had back issues. And I've had shots in my back. Anything I could do to try to find relief. I've gone to chiropractors and I find relief I was talking to somebody in our church and they said you know I had back issues too and I went to this went to this quack in uh in Bowling Green and um he said man he helped me I said is he a doctor no did he go to school no he's a quack he I mean he printed his own degree up and put it on the wall the ink is still fresh I mean you could rub it off I mean the guy's a quack but he works it works and I just wanted to go, I just wanted relief. I, was, I wanted relief so bad, you know what I was willing to do? I was willing to go to a quack. You know what I found? Relief. Matter of fact, I liked the quack so much, I was telling Alan Sunday about the quack. He's going to send his wife to the quack. So she can find relief. You say, what are you talking so negative? No, the guy's good. The guy's good. But he'll tell you. I just read a book. I mean, he's not quite that bad, Alan. Somebody told me, somebody heard I had a bad back, and this guy helped them. You know what they did? They told me about him. And this guy was walking, and he looked pretty good. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I thought, if I could look like you, I'm going to your quack. I don't care if he's a quack or not. I'm going. And look at me. Last night, I didn't even realize it. Someone said, you jumped all the way up that big step right there. You know why? Because I go to a quack in Bowling Green. <laughs> he helped someone else, and he helped me. How many of you are at a restaurant, and you told somebody about it? Because it was so good. How many of you? Come on. Yeah. You, you went, and you liked it. And you told what? You got to go here. And it might even have been a little bit pricey, but you liked it so much that when you told them about it, now it's a little pricey, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, you're even willing to talk it up. But when it comes to our Christian life, if we're not careful with our testimony, we can turn more people away by what we say, by how we live, by what we do, how easily we get offended, how we hold on to worldly things. I don't even mean anything. Christianity was never about you. It was always about Christ. 
It's about God creating the human race and the human race sinning. And God not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God looked at mankind hopeless in a sinful state, not able to save himself, not able, not able to be redeemed through any action he could do. And God said, I love mankind so much, I'm going to give you the ultimate gift, my son. The only person in all of the universe that could go to earth and shed his blood so that we could be redeemed was Jesus Christ. No other person, no other angel, no other being, no other human. The only one was Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I will unselfishly, I'll go. I'll sacrifice. I'll become sin so that mankind can be redeemed back to God. So that alcoholic can find hope and be saved. So that that woman at the well who, who's lived her life thinking that she's got no value, thinking that she has nothing to offer and she's given herself to, to man after man and Jesus Christ comes down and sits at the well and he tells her all about herself and he says, I can give you living water. lady that was there and all of these Pharisees and in, in, in religious folks are ready to pick up a stone and stone her and Jesus is there riding with his finger and he just looks up and he says who is without sin cast the first stone he looks up and he sees a man in a tree and he says Zacchaeus come down there's a prostitute Mary and Jesus says, just come. And she breaks ointment and she washes his feet with her hair. There's a Pharisee and Jesus says to him, religion isn't going to get you saved. You must be born again. In every city surrounding Monclova, there is a world that needs Jesus, and there needs to be a church that says, I'm going to be unselfish. I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to realize the power of God. I'm going to have the reverence for God's power, and I'm going to reverence him correctly, and I'm going to use my testimony to influence others so that the needy and the hopeless and the poor and the drunk and the sinful and the murderer and, and, and the adulterer, they can come to a place and find hope in Jesus Christ what it's all about it isn't about me what I like what I don't like and how I see things and how listen to me it's got to get Christian where we find that our opinion doesn't matter if our opinion's different than Jesus Christ we're more concerned about people knowing what we think about something than we are about someone else knowing who Jesus Christ is I find in Acts chapter 5, there was a testimony of helping others. We can get so inward focused that we can help others not realize. 
we can get so inward focused that we're living like Ananias and Sapphira's. We'll go to church. We'll sit through a three-hour message. We'll sell property. We'll play the game. And we're only doing it for ourselves. When we need a fresh revival. I remember there were days that you could have a week-long revival meeting in your church and people would come. I've told you this before, I just never can get out of my mind. I was up in Sterling Heights last week at a pastor's meeting and whenever I get up that way, get near Detroit, there, 75 was closed on the way back and so I had a kind of detour and I drove through Dearborn and I saw an entire city of people that need Jesus. They're hopeless, they're lost, they're believing in a false religion, a false God. I drove to Garden City, Michigan, where I was a six-year-old boy. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and drove by that church and I just prayed in that parking lot. It was a place that was active and thriving. I remember as a six-year-old boy, it just seemed like there was always something happening. The place was filled. Coming down to an altar and praying with my family and looking up and every family in the church, it seemed like, was there weeping and praying and asking God for power. I heard now they're looking for a pastor and they can barely yet put 50 to 75 people together. Selling off all their property just so they can stay afloat. How does that happen? How does Ananias and Sapphira get to the place where they think they can fool God and get away with it? How do they get as Christians realizing what Jesus Christ has done for me? How do I get to the place where life becomes about me and not about serving others? I think we need to ask God for spiritual revival. Refresh me. Cleanse me. Psalmist David. Ask for a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. 